Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's October 16th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. This means it's three weeks to the day until the midterm elections. And we get a report that the federal deficit rose 17% in 2018, on track to hit a trillion dollars a year before the next election. Uh, all the while, the party of fiscal conservatism is running the federal government, so whatever. Uh, Stormy Daniels and lawyer Michael Avenatti have their defamation suit against uh, President Trump thrown out by a federal judge, which extends Avenatti's streak of overhyped failures, uh, but uh, he's probably not done with him. Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, is in Saudi Arabia, where the royal family seems to be about to uh, amend their statement about the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, apparently suggesting that his killing was something of a botch job by rogue agents who apparently, I guess the story is going to go, we're trying to interrogate him with a bone saw or something because, I don't know, I always bring a bone saw along when I'm trying to kidnap or interrogate anybody. President Trump appears ready to accept their story. I saw one analysis said this was really the uh, president's uh, Mideast, uh, uh, Mideast policy on steroids. Uh, meanwhile, of course, uh, the odds of the GOP holding the Senate appear to be getting stronger, while the Democrats actually seem to be getting nervous about their blue wave. I- I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time Democrats had a good news cycle. I mean, we've had Hillary Clinton giving interviews suggesting the bill's affair with Monica Lewinsky wasn't an abuse of power because, while well, she was an adult which is not anyone's standard about uh, sexual harassment or sexual abuse or the misuse of power. And then, of course, uh, uh, you know that was followed up by the debate over whether Elizabeth Warren is really a Cherokee, which is going about as badly as anybody would have expected. And uh, there are smart Democrats who are noting that all of this seems pretty badly off message. Now, my powers of prognostication have been very, very limited, especially after 2016. Uh, But I have suggested never underestimate the Democrats' ability to blow an election. And and it is interesting that three weeks out, if you wanted to come up with a scenario for Democrats blowing this election, it kind of feels like where we're at right now. But, But none of this seems as important as the joy this morning in the land of cheese. The Brewers win game three of the NLCS and the Packers pull off a last second comeback from uh, based on the on the arm of the uh, king of the north uh, Aaron Rodgers and who better to talk about this today uh, the day that we set aside for our Tuesday morning quarterback than Greg Easterbrook so Greg I, I got to tell you it was it was a really great night first of all good morning uh, good morning, Charlie. You've, you've just listed lots of great uh, examples of Washington hypocrisy. We're talking in the land of hypocrisy, Washington, D.C. Um, and the one that actually jumps out to me is the backside of Elizabeth Warren declaring that she's one one zillionth Cherokee or whatever the exact number is. Not her statement about it, but who's it happening to? It's happening to the Cherokee. If you look at it, it there's, a, there's a record of shame of, of white American treatment of Native American, but if he had to pick who was treated the worst, it's got to be the Cherokee. That, that's, they're, they're the ones who suffered the Trail of Tears and many other forms of indignity and, and, and genocide. And, and now it's 2018 and they're getting mocked in political debate. Oh man, what a bad day to be a Cherokee. But I, I will tell your, your listeners, if you haven't already, the National Museum of the American Indian hmm. on the mall that, it, that opened a few years ago is well worth seeing. 
the, the really good part about it is that there's nothing about Elizabeth Warren in that museum, but the, but, but there is a, a great and pretty neutral, I would say, history of the tormented relationship between European settlers and Native Americans. It's a fabulous museum. Well, you know, the, the, the term cultural appropriation gets thrown around around this time of year when it comes to Halloween costumes. But but how is what, how is this not cultural appropriation for this elite white woman uh, who has appropriated the, the Native American culture for apparently for her own benefit? So I, I, I wrote a piece a couple of months ago saying I, I need to have a guide. What constitutes cultural appropriation and what doesn't? I mean, the, the, the rules seem to be shifting all of all the time, but it, it is one of the distractions. But what I really wanted to talk about was, of course, you know, the, the joy in the land of, of cheese. I mean, that, that last second Packer, we always have to start with the Packers. I mean, you know, the, the Aaron Rodgers, he's got a bloody elbow. He's, you know, hobbling around on a knee brace and pulls out the last second victory. I mean, that this was just, this was just sweet Monday night football, Greg. It was a great game, and I, and I hope your listeners stayed up to watch the very end, especially the last minute. Before we leave Elizabeth Warren, I'm going to throw one other thing in. <laughs> Keep in mind if she runs for president. To my mind, when I think about her, it's not did she make this preposterous claim about a, a tiny amount of answers. She's, she's from Oklahoma. Everybody in Oklahoma has a Cherokee in, in, in the family tree. I mean, every single person from that state. Look at her resume. She changed law schools mm-hmm. four times. That is very striking and strange. Why did she have to leave law schools number one, two, and three, where she was a faculty member? Uh, one career jump, maybe. Four career jumps? Uh, if I was doing oppo research on Elizabeth Warren, that's what I'd be looking at. Now, back to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Yes. The la- the, the, they're down... Rogers is sacked. It's fourth and long. They're back way deep in their own territory. Santa Clara has three timeouts. It looks certain that the 49ers were going to win, and mm-hmm. and the Packers won. That that drive was the final drive wasn't a one minute drive. It was a 45 second drive, the length of the field, and how how the 49ers let. Packers re- receivers repeatedly catch the ball on the sideline and step out of bounds. The Packers had no timeouts on that drive. So if you're de- if you're the defensive coordinator, you are absolutely certain that the ball is going to go to the sideline. And the the 49ers looked like they were unaware that that was a standard football tactic when you're trying to conserve time. They didn't defend the sideline. They defended the middle of the field. They wanted the Packers to throw to the middle of the field. I don't know what was wrong with them, but it sure did did lead up to a Hollywood ending. Well, and also the, the the you know the the whole the whole story of Mason Crosby, who just was awful a week ago, missing all of those field goals, had a case of the yips. They didn't lose faith in him, and he comes back with a real clutch performance. So, what goes on in the minds of of kickers? How how do you have a game in which I mean you you have you've had such a good career? Even the best players are going to have an off game. Just do you have any thoughts about this? Because Mason Crosby's had these moments before. I just thought it was very impressive to watch him, you know, g- get his head get his head straight. Because of course that was really what it was about, right? I mean, it's not a leg issue; it's a it's a head issue for him. 
Well, I think with NFL place kickers, there's less than meets the eye because they attempt field goals so infrequently. As a group, NFL place kickers are about 85% have been for the last 10 years. A generation ago as a group, there was 70%. Now they're 85%. So they're all pretty, not every single one of them, but most of them are pretty efficient. When you miss, it's more like an outlier than than tells you something about the ch- your changing ability to be an athlete. So if, if I was a coach in general, as long as my place kicker in general was effective, if he missed a couple kicks in one game, I would think it was statistically insignificant. And that's the way that's the way I saw Crosby. Okay, your 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 column is up at the Weekly Standard, and uh, you have a very interesting debate. I mean, you start off by talking about the we're going to move off about Aaron Rodgers, D- Drew Brees. Now the all-time leading passer in the the NFL, which is a rather extraordinary story. But you point out an interesting little detail that I had uh, I was not aware of, that that Drew Brees never played youth tackle football. That really until high school, Brees played flag football, and he actually believes that youth tackle football should be banned. Well, Drew Brees, the the all-time leading passer in football never played youth tackle football and in order to become the all-time leading passer he had to he had to get above Peyton Manning who also mm. never played youth tackle football Peyton Manning played flag and in order to get in position to pass Peyton Manning and in order to jump to number 3 uh, Drew Brees had to get above Brett Favre who believes that youth tackle football should be banned uh, if I've this is, I started to call this a hobby horse. This is an important issue. It's not really a hobby horse. Uh, for years, I've been writing about the statistical case that shows we just mentioned statistics. Statistics are, are they're not always right, but they're a pretty good guide to your life. Neurological statistics pretty strongly show that most of the harm from contact sports to the brain occurs before the age of 12. And if you don't engage in contact sports that, that involve bashing your head until you're in high school. You don't eliminate all of the risk, but you certainly eliminate most of it. And yet we have more children, they're all children obviously, playing organized youth tackle football in the United States than we do professional and college players combined. And youth tackle should simply be outlawed. Uh, now we can outlaw it in effect by refusing to participate in it. I think that that school boards and park districts and the kind of people who loan fields to youth tackle, they should stop doing so, if only because they're afraid of the liability, because eventually they're going to start, the, the, the neurology will become conclusive and, you'll, and school boards and park districts will start losing liability suits over this. But equally important, parents should just refuse to let their children play. Tackle football, organized tackle, I know you'll never stop it in sandlots, but no child should play organized tackle football below the age of of 12, and really I'd be more comfortable with 13 or 14, but definitely below 12, it should just be illegal. We don't let 12-year-olds smoke, we shouldn't let them play tackle football. You've been writing about this for some time now. I mean, this is you. You, you had a you know your your 2015 book, the, the game's not over. I mean, you talked about youth tackle. You wrote about this for the New York Times, and and really, this you know, I, I know I know that there will be some people who will go, well, this is the wimpification of America. But I mean, there's a basic physiological fact that you point out. If you bash your head before your brain, you know, before your brain finishes forming, you're you're in for lifelong problems. And the the medical evidence on this is not ambiguous, is it? No, it's, it's, it's overwhelmingly persuasive. And we, everybody in the United States that 
the NFL is the king of sports. It's my favorite sport. It's America's favorite sport. But we all think about the neurology of football in terms of the NFL. The NFL is not where the problem is. In fact, neurological harm in the NFL is at this point actually pretty minor. Hmm. The problem is in youth tackle football. That's that's the public health emergency. And then there's a moderate problem in high school football, but the public health emergency is youth tackle. And we're not doing anything about it. And I point out and about half of the book, The Game's Not Over, is, is, is about how we think about football all wrong by focusing on the NFL, when actually the NFL is the least important thing about football in, in health terms, <laughs> health and, and social terms. You, you, you make an interesting point that there are lots of what you call sub-concussive contacts that, that, you know, lots of those may be worse than one knockout hit. So what is a sub-concussive contact and, and, and why are they actually so dangerous for kids? It's a concussion when somebody slams into your helmet and you drop down on the ground unconscious or you're woozy or you can't remember what your name is or who the president is. I wish I couldn't remember who the president is, but that's 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 <laughs> what a concussion is. A subconcussive hit is when you just get your head knocked hard and your and your brain stings a little bit and mm. you see stars a little bit but you can still play and you're basically fine and you can talk normally the the research uh, all, really over, over the last 10 years is starting to show very conclusively that lots of subconcussive hits are a lot worse than being knocked unconscious and they're they they are far more damaging to young people, especially under the age of 12, when they happen before your brain case has yeah. finished forming, that those things add up and they manifest as neurological problems later in life. You know, this is something that the NFL can do. I mean, the, the NFL could actually stop encouraging, you know, kids signing up for tackle. And as you point out, there's really nothing wrong with flag football. And, and, the, and the fact that you have people like Brett Favre and Drew Brees, who, you know, played flag football should eliminate the oh you know you're you're getting you're getting soft tight you know you're you're getting you know you're getting soft as 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 an approach to and you you have you coached uh, flag football? I have both, and let me let me <laughs> let me first tell you that the NFL sponsors the largest youth tackle football league in the United States. ESPN co-sponsors it. CVS, which claims to be a healthcare company now, hmm. co-sponsors it. They're, they might as well be encouraging kids to smoke. We should have a cigarette league where 12-year-olds learn how to smoke faster because it's about the same in terms of public health effect. And in my own experience, and that's the, the negative part we could dwell on, unfortunately, for quite a while. The positive part is that you can do flag football. Flag football is great, and as Drew Brees, the best passer in NFL history, shows it's a great learning experience. I've coached both both youth flag and middle school tackle football, the affiliate teams of, of the big public high school near where I live. Uh, and I wouldn't take anybody under the age of 13 on the tackle team. I just hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't take them. Uh, and, and you could spot the kids who were faking what their age was. But I can tell you that the, the flag part was a lot of fun. You learn how to be in the right place at the right time, which is the most important thing about football to learn when you're young. You can always learn tackling later. And you don't have to learn to be aggressive. A lot of you go to these youth tackle leagues and you see these quivering nine-year-old boys with coaches who imagine that they're Don Shula screaming at the boys to hit each other harder. Yet boys are naturally aggressive. They do not need to be taught to be aggressive. And when they get to high school, that's going to happen naturally. At the flag level, when you're young, you learn how to be in the right place at the right time. 
how to find the guy who's open and not the guy who's covered, real basic football skills, how to respond on defense to where the ball is going. Flag football is a great teacher of that. But don't take my word for it. Take Drew Brees and hmm. Peyton Manning, the two most effective passers in NFL history, were both flag football kids. Okay, now I'm, I'm thinking about this when when I was uh, when I was that age. We of course uh, we played in traffic. We played with sharp objects. We ran with scissors. We did all sorts of things. But I don't remember uh, tackle youth tackle football being a big deal. When did that actually become a thing? Ah, you put your finger on something there, Charlie. It was not a big deal in your youth or in mine. And, you know, I I remember playing a lot of informal tackle football games Mm -hmm. in the park, and your parents could never stop you from doing that. But organized tackle started becoming a big deal roughly one generation ago. If you had to pick a year, roughly 1990. Hmm. Play an organized youth tackle skyrockets from that point. I think it was mainly... It was two things. One, rising American prosperity allows more families to afford tackle football. It's an expensive sport. And the rising profile of the NFL makes more more young boys want to pretend that they're Deion Sanders. So this starts around 1990. What do we see in statistics starting about 10 years later? Declining boys' academic performance in high school and in college admissions. And I'm not saying that's the only factor. There are a number of other factors, and all of your listeners will immediately say, aha, video games happened at the same time, which they did. Those two things happened at the same time. More tackle football and more video games, and boys' academic performance nosedived. And I would say in a lot of ways, I don't know what to do about video games. I do know what to do about youth tackle football. Outlaw it. Hmm. You uh, spend a lot of time in this column talking about, uh, we're moving on here, uh, m- uh, talking about the New York Times corrections and the, the culture of corrections in the New York Times. Y- you, you Obviously, this is one of your areas of interest, isn't it, Greg? Well, I, I find New York Times corrections very amusing. <laughs> Only the funny ones, not the serious ones about life or death, but I do an annual le- lengthy item called New York Times Corrections on Fast yeah. Forward where where I note all the funny things that they were wrong with in the previous year, constantly confusing men with women. I realize that's what happens in Manhattan culture anyway. Constant, Constantly confusing millions with billions and citing financial figures that are off by gigantic amounts of money while wagging their fingers about other people wasting small sums of money. My This year, my New York Times correction of the year, and you'll just have to look at the column to see it, is that the Times accomplished the seemingly impossible feat of having an inaccurate blank space. And that's pretty hard to imagine. They did it. Good for them. But um, a- anyway, they're, they're, mo- they're mostly funny items. So uh, the, the, Yeah, well, it makes me feel better because I, believe it or not, do make mistakes now and then to realize that to air is human. Uh, the Daily Standard podcast is brought to you today by Calm. Look, uh, I have uh, mentioned this before. I actually have this downloaded on my my app, and there have been more than a few days when I have used this. Look, if you feel stressed or anxious, which means, I mean, you live in America in 2018, um, this is something you want to consider. Even if you've never meditated before, if you're a little skeptical about meditation would benefit you, or if you have trouble sleeping, that's why we're excited to partner with Calm, which is the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was it was named Apple's 2017 app of the year. It gives you all the tools you need to live a, health, a healthier, happier, more mindful life. Just five minutes of Calm can change your whole day. They actually have these, these stories with, with very prominent folks I was uh, 
who was it I was listening to? Uh, Stephen Fry was 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 reading uh, something the other night. So look, if you head to calm.com slash standard, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programming, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, focus, and relationships, including this a new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. So for a limited time, Daily Standard listeners can get 25% off of a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash standard. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content. Get started today at calm.com slash standard. That is calm.com slash standard. Greg Easterbrook, uh, we do this uh, every Tuesday. And uh, I'm going to be much more excited about the NFL season um, after after baseball ends. There is that moment. You know, and, and by the way, it being in Wisconsin, to have a Brewer game up against a Packer game and people deciding to listen to the Brewer game, that's a rather extraordinary moment in, uh, in, in Cheesehead sports lore. Yeah, Wisconsin's riding high right now. We, we are. Well, thanks for joining me. We'll, we'll do this again next week. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.